welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Cantor, and I am the editor in chief of Fine Biometrics, where all throughout June we are celebrating the Future of Finance special event. Four weeks of special editorial coverage, an expert webinar panel presented with Money 2020 Europe, and of course, special episodes of ID Talk. That's why today I am pleased to present my co host Susan Stover's interview with Philip Dunkelberger, president and CEO of Knock Knock Labs. The interview begins on the topic of authentication and finance in the pandemic era, taking stock of how recent world events affected the already rapidly evolving fintech security space. The conversation then pivots to discuss the FIDO Alliance, of which Knock Knock is a founding member, before further unpacking some of the topics explored in our recent webinar, Building Invincible Trust Chains with Strong Authentication and Identity Verification. It's a wide-ranging interview with a pioneer in strong online authentication, and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, I present Susan Stover, Vice President of Digital Content for Fine Biometrics, in conversation with Philip Dunkelberger, President and CEO of Knock Knock Labs, right here on the ID Talk podcast. Welcome to ID Talk. I'm Susan Stover, VP of Digital Content here at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. And today I'm joined by Philip Dunkelberger, President and CEO at Knock Knock Labs. Great to have you today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start broadly on the topic of identity and commerce. The financial sector was the front lines of identity and authentication innovation for the past decade. And much of the digitization of banking and payments can be attributed to the evolution of strong authentication technologies. Before the pandemic, at the turn of the decade, How would you characterize the state of authentication in finance? Well, to your question about them leading the way in a highly regulated environment, both either locally or globally, I I think that I would characterize it as all of that innovation that happened led to it being very fragmented. Uh, The banks and fintechs were in an area of transition. You had people that were just coming into that marketplace. You had competitive environments and you had needs for their line of business to change the way they were doing business over the last 10 years. And because of that, you ended up with a, a, a fragmented set of things that revolved around the regionality of the application. Some people were local trying to become global. Other people that had been global players were dealing with local regulations and changes in the landscape. And it was very different. The implementations that we saw from a payment standpoint or a real estate transaction standpoint or lending standpoint, or even common banking in the US, Europe, Asia, and Japan, all of those had their own regional flavor. And on top of that, you had different applications. You know, we talk about mobile. Mobile, the idea of using mobile and usability became a big, big issue because of essentially trying to type with your fingers and thumbs doing financial transactions. And those things were something that they've had to work through a number of times uh, to get the application suite right for the people that are used to banking either on a desktop or a laptop or walking into a branch. In other verticals like enterprise, education, and healthcare, Quarantine and social distancing measures have acted as a catalyst for a rapid shift to mobile and digital channels. How has the pandemic changed the financial space and what identity challenges does that present? Well, I think in a couple of ways, back to the first question, how it is fragmented is also dealing with the pandemic really highlighted competitive nature. You had banks already being set up, challenger banks around the world, uh, and banking systems that were really just online. There were no walls. And you had old style, the past, 
500 years or so of banks that were used to being in an enclosure. And that transition has been tough for people from a technology standpoint. And that has led to new competition and the pandemic has really amplified that. You also have regulations, privacy, security regulations that have come to the fore and the banking authority traditionally that has let things like passwords or let other types of, of uh, capability be your guide as far as security goes. Those things are really, really amplified in the pandemic. Security, privacy, usability, those key areas have been amplified now that people can't rely on the old way of doing things. What do you expect the financial space to look like in a year from now from an identity and authentication perspective? You know, I, I think it depends on the severity and length of this. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the different parts of the world that have, have either gone through it, have seen their their levels of the infection go down and then suddenly boom back up again. With all of the things that go along with COVID-19, I think that that severity and length will definitely impact things like you're going to have more 5G rollouts. The 5G rollouts haven't stopped or abated. You're going to have new technology from a wireless standpoint. And you're going to get from that more scalability, more new types of applications, rich communication services, things that will bring together uh, better capability than we have today. I think you're going to also deal with the need for people to look at the way they provide services differently. Uh, we think of the world at knock-knock of people and devices looking for services. The idea of enterprises or what you use in your enterprise and your business daily is different than what you use if you're on a class at night for education, way different if what you're using in the medical field. All of those have their own security issues, their own usability and device issues. And those are gonna be, again, magnified over, let's say the next year, and in each one of those verticals, they're going to have to be dealt with uh, severally and differently. There's not going to be a one size fits all anymore uh, if there ever was, but there's really going to be some of those challenges. And because of the pandemic, the attack surfaces have gotten very large. In other words, a lot of things that were contained inside the fortress idea that we used to work inside of fortresses has really been blown up for good. And now you're going to have to rethink about how you provide goods and services much more akin to your users in a consumer model in the old parlance than in an enterprise model versus consumer model that we lived in uh, really in the transition before the pandemic amplified the needs for bring your own device to be able to use whatever you have in your home to be able to conduct business or medicine or finance or any of the things that you talked about, online learning, distance learning. All of those are gonna be impacted as we come out of this. New, better ways of doing it will, will be there and are on the road. Other things are gonna to have to go away, like the idea of passwordless future. I think the pandemic is really saying people can't have 25, 30 passwords to log into their life every day. So I think those are things that we're gonna see come out of it. From telcos to banks and insurers to the internet of things, millions of people, applications, and devices rely on knock-knock passwordless authentication solutions. Knock Knock has solved the connected consumer authentication problem, so you know who's there. Find out more today at knockknock.com. And now, back to the podcast. Knock Knock Labs is a founding member of the FIDO Alliance. What are the benefits of FIDO authentication and financial transactions? Well, I think to look backward when we at Knock Knock, who our founder, Ramesh Pansapali, was the inventor of FIDO, literally. 
and, and brought Fido out as an idea to a working group. And I think if we go back to its basis, how it was founded and what it was designed to do is, is important today and even amplified in the pandemic era by the things that it was designed to do. It was called the big four. The first thing was we had to find a way to do strong authentication or authentication in general easier. We had to make it more usable. If you look at a corollary from that standpoint of just users trying to do things on cell phones or smartphones as the primary weapon of choice for both their business and personal lives versus a laptop or, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a desktop. The evolution of that technology has required us to find better ways to authenticate. And the 50-year-old idea of uh, passwords and all the friction people wanted to put in, including things like SMS that have been around for some time and are basically the standards bodies have said deprecate those usability issues and those security issues, we needed to find a better usability standard. And that was the first thing FIDO was striving to do way back when they were thinking about it in 2009 and 10. Um, the second one was cost reduction. Uh, biometrics, um, since we're on a fine biometrics uh, mobile ID channel, it's really critical that biometrics for years were very expensive and walled gardens when you deployed them. You had to know the device, the biometric sensor, you had to know its capabilities before you could really do the last mile out to your user. FIDO wanted to, to take that cost structure down and have a common development environment across any type of authenticator you wanted to do. The third was, uh, from from that standpoint of security we had to come with a better security idea that would lead to the fourth which is privacy that i'll come to in a second but we had to find a different way to use security and we came up with a way to use public private key pairs and the challenges underlying fido so the user wasn't involved in in 509 certificates and public key infrastructure and all the gobbledygook that existed before but we found a way using FIDO to use the strongest thing we knew as an underlier to provide ease of use on top of a really, really robust security model. And there were more than 400 plus companies that contributed to the ways that the FIDO protocols were built. So it was an industry movement trying to solve those three things with the added benefit of giving the user better privacy. Because your credentials, just like you don't go home at night and take the keys to your car, the, the keys to your safe inside your house, your credit cards, you don't go with all your credentials and hand them to your neighbor. That has been a problem in attack surfaces where what we've done is keep storing our credentials in big databases out on the internet that can be hacked, that can be phished, that can be credential stuffing attacks. All of those things were mitigated by FIDO for the end user as a big benefit to keep their privacy and essentially their credentials to themselves. They never leave the device, they never are transmitted over the network, and it allows the relying parties, the banks, the fintechs, et cetera, not to have to store that private information on the back end in your accounts and identifying you to provide services. They don't need all of that personal information anymore. They have a strong signal from day one. So those were the four pillars, ease of use, absolute cost reduction and new ways to do authentication easier and better. Security, strongest thing we know to do today from security standpoint. And last but not least, support the privacy model of distributed personal privacy that is kept intact going forward. Those were the four pillars of FIDO. And at the beginning of this year, Knock Knock Labs announced it would be outfitting BBVA with a variety of authentication tools for its online and mobile banking channels. Why is flexibility important for users and institutions when it comes to authentication factors? Well, as we said before, as people move from 
old systems to new and technology evolves, you want to be able to have flexibility of choice. And that touches all parts of an operation. You want flexibility for the IT team, how they're going to run operations around new authenticators and new authentication methods. They're going to need to have choices given the number of systems that they have to deal with uh, in fintech and banking, both and. They have regulatory issues from a legal standpoint that they're going to have to meet and things that have worked for years, like usernames and passwords and other things on the back end that they want to migrate to better usability are also going to have to meet the regulatory standards. You're going to move out of IT to the CIO and CFO offices, and they're going to want to know what they're buying is future proof. Because one of the big complaints about security in the CFO's offices is we spend more and more, but we seem to be under attack more and more. We seem to be still dealing with a pandemic of data breaches that are costing us money, affecting our stock prices, and most of all, affecting customer satisfaction. So the things they're concerned about at 80,000 feet, where the IT team and regulatory teams are down at the 1,000 to 5 foot to 1 foot level, then gets into your risk teams. Those guys are looking at wow, the risk today is going to be different tomorrow. And as we move new systems in, how do we get the assurance? The second part that has not been talked about a lot recently, how do we get the assurance signals that what we're putting in gives us better fidelity for the users, for the transactions and things that we're doing that need to meet the specific regulatory environments we're in? So all of those things are, are really, really critical to looking at how do we go forward with all of this change going on around us? And as you alluded to earlier, privacy and consent are crucial topics in digital identity right now. How does Knock Knock's technology empower users with privacy and enable regulatory compliance for relying parties? Well, there's, there's a number of pieces of FIDO. If you start with FIDO's principles, if you go to uh, FIDO.org, they have a whole section of FIDO privacy principles. For instance, your information will never cross the wire. FIDO's architecture is designed where you're not storing personal information in a big database somewhere on the network. It's designed that, that the privacy and security of it is really designed to be one flexible, supporting a variety of different devices, whether it's a laptop, desktop, kiosk, phone, um, sensor devices. When you move out into the broad scale of, of things like locks on doors, where you have contactless locks, all of the future that is in the cloud and, of course, in the coming of big scale IoT, all of those things are designed around usability and security. Because as there's petabytes of information coming across, you know, things that we don't think about usually like, you know, how am I going to bill somebody in energy where well, the billing is going to come off a smart device in your home for the energy consumption, water consumption, et cetera. That's all going to be machine-to-machine -machine authentication, and it's going to drive your bill. But if there's a problem with your bill as a homeowner, you're going to want to talk to a human being, not to a device. And that's going to require somebody to come in securely and look at your information. So these things are all bundled together, and as we advance the state of, of deployment of strong auth and capability, Usability and privacy and security are intertwined, even in the cases of IoT. And we've seen that in the deployments we've done with our IoT announcement of a couple of years ago and amplified by the products that we've been showing recently as extensions to the original FIDO protocol. As an inventor of FIDO, Knock Knock has set the standard for FIDO certified deployments and continues to innovate based on real-world experience with millions of users globally. 
Knock Knock has solved the connected consumer authentication problem, so you know who's there. Visit knockknock.com today to learn more. And now, back to the podcast. What's the key to establishing and maintaining trusted identity in remote finance? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. I think that we, we pay one way too much attention to the simple thing of technology. And if it's just a technology change, FIDO protocol, using biometrics at the endpoint, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those pieces of that puzzle have to go back to who's implementing it. What kind of systems are they putting it on? Are they there? Do they control the hardware systems? Who did they hire? You know, back to who did you hire to look at those systems and maintain them? It's a holistic nature that involves trust. I remember Larry Poneman, who did the original studies on cost of a data breach back in my days at PGP when we were working with Larry, and he's still an advisor to Knock Knock Labs today, said it. Trust is beyond just the data breach. Because when you get into things of, of cell phones, you know, the churn in the cell phone market with, with uh, how you churn cell phone plans and, and devices is way different than a doctor that you've had a 20-year relationship with. And trusted supply chains, trusted interactions with people that you have trust and built with really goes beyond just your financials because your financials play in all of those. It also goes to reputation. It also goes to other things beyond just the technology and way you've done it. But I'll give you this, in, in my opinion, if three years from now or two years from now, you're still requiring usernames and passwords as your best bet when stolen credentials lead to 70% roughly of all data breaches, you're going to be behind competitively if you're a fintech or a bank. And you're going to have people become wary of usability and security that isn't being provided in a new, better way. If you're a challenger bank, you know, I was talking to a challenger bank two days ago and, and I asked them and the guy said about authentication. He named six different authentication technologies they use because they're a wallless bank. And they started with biometrics, not passwords. And when I asked him why they made that decision, he said, very simply, Phil, this. We felt if we were going to be a next generation way of doing fintech and banking for people, we were absolutely going to have to be somebody who applied next generation or better capability than the banks we were trying to take business from. So again, I think in the future, authentication and trust is going to be a big, big part of your competitive advantage in your lines of business. And what does Knock Knock have in store for 2020 and beyond? Well, when you look at Knock Knock's in store for 2020, we're going to have better device support. You know, as FIDO continues to roll out in the W3C standard for all browsers supporting FIDO, by the time that's finished, we want to support more things. We've already support the Apple Watch. We want more wearables. We see wearable as a really interesting opportunity regionally. It's a really interesting opportunity on things like shop floors for strong authentication to the people running manufacturing plants. So there's a whole range of things in the area of wearables that you'll see announcements coming out about. We think that that we can make FIDO much more efficient, the protocol itself. We helped invent it. We established the FIDO Alliance to promote it and to help build on it and get all of the industry behind it, which we're really proud to say that the industry has really stepped up and is doing that. And with Apple joining in Q1 of this year, it really has got a holistic flavor to it now with the browsers. But beyond that, 
we've got to look at the network operators and the people that it's running, that protocol is running across and make FIDO as efficient as it can be. And we've got some really interesting things we'll introduce with our implementation, our innovation around the FIDO protocols, way beyond just the ability to do FIDO, to do replacement for usernames and passwords. If we were playing a card game, that would be jacks or better to open the bidding in a card game using a poker parlance. That's just the base level of FIDO. We've gone so far beyond that and what you can do with the protocol, back to your BBVA ask, where the bank is looking at truly transitioning to a digital bank in parts of the world and how we can enable that with things like not having to have anything at the FIDO endpoint, but what you already have, one of the brilliant points of FIDO is we can make any authenticator work. Recently, there's been announcements about people wanting to be able to use things like 509 certificates that are found on devices natively. We've been able to do that since 2015. We have a whole group of things that we will add to our capabilities around FIDO this year that will add to its ease of implementation because ultimately FIDO's got to be operationalized. If you're going to deploy it, it's got to work out of the box. It can't be a protocol that finds itself on the shelf. And in our multiple large deployments, scale is massively important and we will continue to work on our big lead for scale out there in these wide scale implementations we've done. We have some implementations today, user counts above 50 million users around the world. And that is high scale, low attrition on the network, low friction on the network. So it's not just friction at the endpoint we've got to be better at. We've got to stall friction in the operation from development to deployment, to usability and manageability, all the way up to even the network round trip of the packets. We've got to be mindful of all those things as we make FIDO more usable for the end user. It's got to be more usable for the relying party and their IT staffs also. And how can listeners contact you to learn more about the topics we discussed today? Well, you can go to info at knockknock.com, info at nok.com. There's a contact section there. Um, we're widely available and findable. You can fill out a short form and somebody will get back to you. We have a number of new things we'll be launching shortly, new knowledge-based services, new training services, because the journey to passwordless, the journey to frictionless, we've built the roadway for people, and now we want to help them put their cars in that roadway to a better future. That's really the analogy that's here. We've needed a better infrastructure play to get to use biometrics and other things much more efficiently and effectively. We've now got that agreed to by the industry. Now it's time to deploy it at scale and use it for the betterment of the user and the IT staffs that got to support them. It was great to talk to you today, Phil, and looking forward to following the journey of Knock Knock in 2020 and beyond. Thank you so much. It's an exciting time, even in this pandemic era. One thing we can count on is change, and we're really part of that change, and we're very proud to be a part of it. So thank you so much for giving the opportunity today. And so concludes Susan Stover's interview with Philip Dunkelberger, President and CEO of Knock Knock Labs. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, please visit knockknock.com. I want to thank Philip again for joining us on today's episode. And thank you, as always, to my co-host, Susan Stover, for conducting the interview. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.